Chapter Eleven of *The Lion's Skin* by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The assault at arms. The meeting was appointed by my lord Rotherby for seven o'clock next morning in Lincoln's Inn Fields. It is true that Lincoln's Inn Fields, at an early hour of the day, was accounted a convenient spot for the transaction of such business as this. Yet considering that it was in the immediate neighborhood of stretton house overlooked indeed by the windows of that mansion it is not easy to rid the mind of a suspicion that rather be appointed that place of purpose set and with intent to mark his contempt and defiance of his father with whom he supposed mr carroll to be in some league accompanied by the duke of wharton and major gascoigne mr carroll entered the enclosure promptly as seven was striking from st clement danes they had come in a coach which they had left in waiting at the corner of portugal row as they penetrated beyond the belt of trees they found that they were the first in the field and his grace proceeded with the major to inspect the ground so that time might be saved against the coming of the other party mr carroll stood apart breathing the freshness of the sunlit morning but supremely indifferent to its glory he was gloomy and preoccupied he had slept ill that night after his interview with sir richard tormented by the odious choice that lay before him of either breaking with the adoptive father to whom he owed obedience and affection or betraying his natural father whom he had every reason to hate yet who remained his father he had been able to arrive at no solution duty seemed to point one way instinct the other down in his heart he felt that when the moment came it would be the behests of instinct that he would obey and in obeying them play false to sir richard and to the memory of his mother it was the only course that went with honour and yet it was a course that must lead to a break with the one friend he had in the world the one man who stood to him for family and kin and now as if that were not enough to plague him there was this quarrel with rotherby which he had upon his hands that too he had been considering during the wakeful hours of the summer night had he reflected he must have seen that no other result could have followed his narrative at white's last night and yet it was a case in which reflection would not have stayed him hortensia winthrop's fair name was to be cleansed of the smirch that had been cast upon it and justin was the only man in whose power it had lain to do it more than that if more were needed it was rotherby himself by his aggressiveness who had thrust mr carroll into a position which almost made it necessary for him to explain himself and that he could scarcely have done by any other than the means which he had adopted under ordinary circumstances the matter would have troubled him not at all this meeting with such a man as rotherby would not have robbed him of a moment's sleep but there came the reflection 
belatedly that rotherby was his brother his father's son and he experienced just the same degree of repugnance at the prospect of crossing swords with him as he did at the prospect of betraying lord ostermore sir richard would force upon him a parricide's task fate a fratricide's truly he thought it was an enviable position his pacing the turf on which the dew still gleamed and sparkled diamond-like he pondered his course and wondered now at the last moment was there no way to avert this meeting could not the matter be arranged he was stirred out of his musings by gascoigne's voice raised to curse the tardiness of lord rotherby life where does the fellow tarry was he so drunk last night that he's not yet slept himself sober the streets are astir put in wharton helping himself to snuff and indeed the cries of the morning hawkers reached them now from the four sides of the square if his lordship does not come soon i doubt if we may stay for him we shall have half the town for spectators who are these quoth gascoigne stepping aside and craning his neck to get a better view ah here they come and he indicated a group of three that had that moment passed the palings gascoigne and wharton went to meet the newcomers lord rotherby was attended by mainwaring a militia captain a great burly scarred bully of a man and a mr falgate an extravagant young buck of his acquaintance an odder pair of sponsors he could not have found had he been at pains to choose them so odd so swore mr falgate in his shrill affected voice i vow tis a most ungenteel hour this for men of quality to be abroad i had my beauty sleep broke into to be here in time lord i shall be dozing all day for it he took off his hat and delicately mopped his brow with a square of lace he called a handkerchief shall we come to business gentlemen quoth mainwaring gruffly with all my heart answered wharton it is growing late late law my dears clucked mr falgate in horror has your grace not been to bed yet to save time said gascoigne we have made an inspection of the ground and we think that under the trees yonder is a spot not to be bettered mainwaring flashed a critical and experienced eye over the place uh, the sun is so he said looking up yes it should serve well enough i it will not serve at all cried rotherby who stood a pace or two apart a little to the right there the turf is better but there is no protection put in the duke you will be under observation from that side of the square including stretton house what odds quoth rotherby do i care who overlooks us and he laughed unpleasantly ha huh, 
or is your grace ashamed of being seen in your friend's company wharton looked him steadily in the face a moment then turned to his lordship's seconds if mr carroll is of the same mind as his lordship we had best get to work at once he said and bowing to them withdrew with gascoigne see to the swords mainwaring said rotherby shortly here fanny this to falgate whose name was francis and who delighted in the feminine diminutive which his intimates used toward him come help me with my clothes i vow to god protested mr falgate advancing to the task i make but an indifferent valet my dear mr carroll stood thoughtful a moment when rotherby's wishes had been made known to him the odd irony of the situation the key to which he was the only one to hold was borne in upon him he fetched a sigh of utter weariness oh, i have said he the greatest repugnance to meeting his lordship tis little wonder returned his grace contemptuously but since tis forced upon you i hope you will give him the lesson in manners that he needs is it unavoidable quoth mr carroll unavoidable wharton looked at him in stern wonder gascoigne too swung around to stare unavoidable what can you mean carroll i mean is the matter not to be arranged in any way must the duel take place his grace of wharton stroked his chin contemplatively his eye ironical his lip curling never so slightly why said he at length you may beg my lord rotherby's pardon for having given him the lie you may retract and brand yourself a liar and your version of the maidstone affair a silly invention which ye have not the courage to maintain you may do that mr carroll for my own sake let me add i hope you will not do it i am not thinking of your grace at all said mr carroll slightly piqued by the tone the other took with him but to relieve your mind of such doubts as i see you entertain i can assure you that it is out of no motives of weakness that i boggle at this combat though i confess that i am no ferrailleur and that i abhor the duel as a means of settling a difference just as i abhor all things that are stupid and insensate yet i am not the man to shirk an encounter where an encounter is forced upon me but in this affair he paused then ended there is more than meets your grace's eye or indeed any one's he was so calm so master of himself that wharton perceived how groundless must have been his first notion whatever might be mr carroll's motives it was plain from his most perfect composure that they were not motives of fear his grace's half contemptuous smile was dissipated this is mere trifling mr carroll he reminded his principal 
and time is speeding your withdrawal now would not only be damaging to yourself it would be damaging to the lady of whose fair name you have made yourself the champion you must see that it is too late for doubts on the score of this meeting ay by god swore gascoigne hotly what a pox ails you carroll mr carroll took off his hat and flung it on the ground behind him we must go on then said he gascoigne see to the swords with his lordship's friend there with a relieved look the major went forward to make the final preparations whilst mr carroll attended by wharton rapidly divested himself of coat and waistcoat then kicked off his light shoes and stood ready a slight lithe graceful figure in white holland shirt and pearl-coloured small clothes a moment later the adversaries were face to face rotherby divested of his wig and with a kerchief bound about his close-cropped head all a trembling eagerness mr carroll with a reluctance lightly masked by a dangerous composure there was a perfunctory salute a mere presenting of arms and the blades swept round in a half circle to their first meeting but rotherby without so much as allowing his steel to touch his opponents as the laws of courtesy demanded swirled it away again into the higher lines and lunged it was almost like a foul attempt to take his adversary unawares and unprepared and for a second it looked as if it must succeed it must have succeeded but for the miraculous quickness of mr carroll swinging round on the ball of his right foot lightly and gracefully as a dancing-master and with no sign of haste or fear in his amazing speed he let the other's hard-driven blade glance past him to meet nothing but the empty air as a result by the very force of the stroke rotherby found himself overreached and carried beyond the point of aim while mr carroll's sideward movement brought him not only nearer his opponent but entirely within his guard it was seen by them all and by none with such panic as rotherby himself that as a consequence of his quasi foul stroke the viscount was thrown entirely at the mercy of his opponent thus at the very outset of the encounter before their blades had so much as touched each other a straightening of the arm on the part of mr carroll and the engagement would have been at an end mr carroll however did not straighten his arm he was observed to smile as he broke ground and waited for his lordship to recover valgate turned pale mainwaring swore softly under his breath in fear for his principal gascoigne did the same in vexation at the opportunity mr carroll had so wantonly wasted wharton looked on with tight-pressed lips and wondered rotherby recovered and for a moment the two men stood apart seeming to feel each other with their eyes before resuming then his lordship renewed the attack with vigour mr carroll parried lightly and closely plying a beautiful weapon in the best manner of the french school and opposing to the ponderous force of his antagonist a delicate frustrating science 
Rotherby, a fine swordsman in his way, soon saw that here was need for all his skill, and he exerted it. But the prodigious rapidity of his blade broke as upon a cuirass against the other's light, impenetrable guard. His lordship broke ground, breathed heavily, and sweated under the glare of the morning sun, cursing this swordsman, who, so cool and deliberate, husbanded his strength and scarcely seemed to move, yet by sheer skill and address more than neutralized his lordship's advantages of greater strength and length of reach. "'You cursed French dog!' swore the viscount presently between his teeth and as he spoke he made a ringing parade fainted beat the ground with his foot to draw off the other's attention and went in again with a full-length lunge parry that you damned maitre d'armes he roared mr carroll answered nothing he parried parried again delivered a riposte whenever the opportunity offered or whenever his lordship grew too pressing and it became expedient to drive him back but never once did he stretch out to lunge in his turn the seconds were so lost in wonder at the beauty of this close play of his that they paid no heed to what was taking place in the square about them they never observed that the opening windows and the spectators gathering at them as wharton had feared amongst these had either of the combatants looked up, he would have seen his own father on the balcony of Stretton House. A moment the earl stood there, Lady Ostermore at his side. Then he vanished into the house again to reappear almost at once in the street with a couple of footmen hurrying after him. Meanwhile the combat went on. Once Lord Rotherby had attempted to fall back for a respite, realizing that he was winded, but mr carroll denied him this attacking now for the first time and the rapidity of his play was such that rotherby opined the end to be at hand appreciated to the full his peril in a last desperate effort gathering up what shreds of strength remained him he repulsed mr carroll by a vigorous counter-attack he saw an opening fainted to enlarge it and drove in quickly throwing his last ounce of strength into the effort this time it could not be said to have been parried something else happened his blade coming foible on forte against mr carroll's was suddenly enveloped it was as if a tentacle had been thrust out to seize it for the barest fraction of a second was it held so by mr carroll's sword then easily but irresistibly it was lifted out of rotherby's hand and dropped on the turf a half-yard or so from his lordship's stockinged feet a cold sweat of terror broke upon him he caught his breath with a half-shuddering sob of fear his eyes dilating wildly for mr carroll's point was coming straight as an arrow at his throat on it came and on until it was within perhaps three inches of the flesh there it was suddenly arrested and for a long moment it was held there poised death itself menacing and imminent and lord rotherby not daring to move rooted where he stood 
looked with fascinated eyes along that shimmering blade into two gleaming eyes behind it that seemed to watch him with a solemnity that was grim to the point of mockery time and the world stood still or were annihilated in that moment for the man who waited high in the blue overhead a lark was pouring out its song but his lordship heard it not he heard nothing he was conscious of nothing but that gleaming sword and those gleaming eyes behind it then a voice the voice of his antagonist broke the silence is more needed it asked and without waiting for a reply mr carroll lowered his blade and drew himself upright let this suffice he said to take your life would be to deprive you of the means of profiting by this lesson it seemed to rotherby as if he were awaking from a trance the world resumed its way he breathed again and straightened himself too from the arrested attitude of his last lunge rage welled up from his black soul a crimson flood swept into his pallid cheeks his eyes rolled and blazed with the fury of the mad mr carroll moved away in that quiet voice of his take up your sword he said to the vanquished over his shoulder wharton and gascoigne moved towards him without words to express the amazement that still held rotherby glared an instant longer without moving then doing as mr carroll had bidden him he stooped to recover his blade a moment he held it looking after his departing adversary then with swift silent stealth he sprang to follow his fell intent was written on his face falgate gasped a helpless fool while mainwaring hurled himself forward to prevent the thing he saw impended too late even as he flung out his hands to grapple with his lordship rotherby's arm drove straight before him and sent his sword through the undefended back of mr carroll all that mr carroll realized at first was that he had been struck a blow between the shoulder blades and then ere he could turn to inquire into the cause he was amazed to see some three inches of steel come through his shirt in front the next instant an exquisite burning searing pain went through and through him as the blade was being withdrawn he coughed and swayed then hurtled sideways into the arms of major gascoigne his senses swam the turf heaved and rolled as if an earthquake moved it the houses fronting the square and the trees immediately before him leaped and danced as if suddenly launched into grotesque animation while about him swirled a wild incoherent noise of voices rising and falling now loud now silent and reaching him through the murmuring hum that surged about his ears until it shut out all else and consciousness deserted him 
Around him, meanwhile, a wild scene was toward. His Grace of Wharton had wrenched away the sword from Rotherby, and mastered by an effort his own impulse to use it upon the murderer. Captain Mainwaring, Rotherby's own second, a man of quick, fierce passions, utterly unable to control himself, fell upon his lordship and beat him to the ground with his hands, cursing him and heaping abuse upon him with every blow whilst delicate mr falgate in the background sick to the point of faintness stood dabbing his lips with his handkerchief and swearing that he would rot before he allowed himself again to be dragged into an affair of honour you damned cut-throat swore the militia captain standing over the man he had felled you know what'll be the fruits of this you'll swing a tyburn like the dirty thief you are god help me i'd give a hundred guineas sooner than be mixed up in this filthy business tis no matter for that now said the duke touching him on the shoulder and drawing him away from his lordship get up rotherby heavily mechanically rotherby got to his feet now that the fit of rage was over he was himself all stricken at the thing he had done he looked at the limp figure on the turf huddled against the knee of major gascoigne looked at the white face the closed eyes and the stain of blood oozing farther and farther across the holland shirt and as white himself as the stricken man he shuddered and his mouth was drawn wide with horror but pitiful though he looked he inspired no pity in the duke of wharton who considered him with an eye of unspeakable severity if mr carroll dies said he coldly i shall see to it that you hang my lord i'll not rest until i bring you to the gallows and then before more could be said there came a sound of running steps and laboured breathing and his grace swore softly to himself as he beheld no other than lord ostermore advancing rapidly all out of breath and apoplectic of face a couple of footmen pressing close upon his heels and behind these a score of sightseers who had followed them what's here cried the earl without glancing at his son is he dead is he dead gascoigne who was busily endeavouring to staunch the bleeding answered without looking up it is in god's hands i think he is very like to die ostermore swung round upon rotherby he had paled suddenly and his mouth trembled he raised his clenched hand and it seemed that he was about to strike his son then he let it fall again you villain he panted breathless from running and from rage i saw it i saw it all it was murder and as god's my life if mr carroll dies i shall see to it that you hang i your own father thus assailed on every side some of the cowering shrinking manner left the viscount his antagonism to his father spurred him to a prouder carriage 
He shrugged indifferently. So be it, he said. I have been told that already. I don't greatly care. Mainwaring, who had been stooping over Mr. Carroll, and who had perhaps more knowledge of wounds than any present, shook his head ominously. "'Twould be dangerous to move him far,' said he. "'Twill increase the hemorrhage. "'My men shall carry him across to Stretton House,' said Lord Ostermore. "'Lend a hand here, you gaping oafs!' The footmen advanced. The crowd, which was growing rapidly and was watching almost in silence, awed, pressed as close as it dared upon these gentlemen. Mainwaring procured a couple of cloaks and improvised a stretcher with them. Of this he took one corner himself, Gascoigne another, and the footmen the remaining two. Thus, as gently as might be, they bore the wounded man from the enclosure through the crowd that had by now assembled in the street and over the threshold of Stretton House. A groom had been dispatched for a doctor, and his grace of Wharton had compelled Rotherby to accompany them into his father's house, sternly threatening to hand him over to a constable at once if he refused. Within the cool hall of Stretton House they were met by her ladyship and Mistress Winthrop, both pale, but the eyes of each wearing a vastly different expression. "'What's this?' demanded her ladyship as they trooped in. "'Why do you bring him here?' "'Because, madam,' answered Ostermore, in a voice as hard as iron, "'it imports to save his life.' for if he dies your son dies as surely and on the scaffold her ladyship staggered and flung a hand to her breast but her recovery was almost immediate twas a duel she began stoutly twas murder his lordship corrected interrupting murder as any of these gentlemen can and will bear witness Rotherby ran Mr. Carroll through the back after Mr. Carroll had spared his life. "'Tis a lie!' screamed her ladyship, her lips ashen. She turned to Rotherby, who stood there in shirt and breeches and shoeless, as he had fought. "'Why don't you say that it is a lie?' she demanded. Rotherby endeavoured to master himself. "'Madam,' he said, here is no place for you but is it true is it true what is being said he half turned from her with a despairing movement and caught the sharp hiss of her indrawn breath then she swept past him to the side of the wounded man who had been laid on a settle what is his hurt she inquired wildly looking about her but no one spoke tragedy more far than the tragedy of that man's possible death was in the air and struck them all silent will no one answer me she insisted is it mortal is it his grace of wharton turned to her with an unusual gravity in his blue eyes we hope not ma'am he said but it is as god wills her limbs seemed to fail her, and she sank down on her knees beside the settle. 
we must save him she muttered fearfully we must save his life where is the doctor he won't die oh he must not die they stood grouped about looking on in silence rotherby in the background behind him again on the topmost of the three steps that led up into the inner hall stood mistress winthrop white of face a wild horror in the eyes she riveted upon the wounded and unconscious man she realized that he was like to die there was an infinite pity in her soul and maybe something more her impulse was to go to him her every instinct urged her but her reason held her back then as she looked she saw with a feeling almost of terror that his eyes were suddenly wide open what came in feeble accents from his lips there was a stir about him never move justin said gascoigne who stood by his head you are hurt lie still the doctor has been summoned ah it was a sigh the wounded man closed his eyes a moment then reopened them i remember i remember he said feebly it is it is grave he inquired it went right through me i remember he surveyed himself there's been a deal of blood lost i am like to die i take it nay sir we hope not we hope not it was the countess who spoke a wry smile twisted his lips your ladyship is very good said he i had not thought you quite so much my well-wisher i i have done you a wrong ma'am he paused for breath and it was not plain whether he spoke in sincerity or in sarcasm then with a startling suddenness he broke into a soft laugh and to those risen who could not think what had occasioned it it sounded more dreadful than any plaint he could have uttered he had bethought him that there was no longer the need for him to come to a decision in the matter that had brought him to england and his laugh was almost of relief the riddle he could never have solved for himself in a manner that had not shattered his future peace of mind was solved and well solved if this were death where where is rotherby he inquired presently there was a stir and men drew back leaving an open lane to the place where rotherby stood mr carroll saw him and smiled and his smile held no tinge of mockery you are the best friend i ever had rotherby he startled all by saying let him approach he begged rotherby came forward like one who walks in his sleep i'm sorry he said thickly cursed sorry there's scarce the need said mr carroll lift me up tom he begged gascoigne there's scarce the need 
you have cleared up something that was plaguing me my lord i am your debtor for for that it disposes of something i could never have disposed of had i lived he turned to the duke of wharton it was an accident he said significantly you all saw that it was an accident a denial rang out it was no accident cried lord ostermore and swore an oath we all saw what it was if faith then your eyes deceived you it was an accident i say and who should know better than i he was smiling in that whimsical enigmatic way of his smiling still he sank back into gascoigne's arms you're talking too much said the major what odds i am not like to talk much longer the door opened to admit a gentleman in black wearing a grizzled wig and carrying a gold-headed cane men moved aside to allow him to approach mr carroll the latter not noticing him had met at last the gaze of hortensia's eyes he continued to smile but his smile was now changed to wistfulness under that pitiful regard of hers it is better so he was saying better so his glance was upon her and she understood what none other there suspected that those words were for her alone he closed his eyes and swooned again as the doctor stooped to remove the temporary bandages from his wound hortensia a sob beating in her throat turned and fled to her own room End of chapter eleven